Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and co-host Dr. Erica Reamer. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 310th edition of Tucked In Tuesday, brought to you today by ICD University. And joining me this morning is my co-host, the very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and the president of Erica Reamer ND Incorporated. And good morning, Dr. Reamer. And Dr. Reamer, let me begin by thanking you for bringing to the forefront OB coding, uh, particularly the issue of renal disease has been complicating OB coding. Thanks, Chuck. I'm not sure everyone finds it quite as complicated as I do, but we'll get to that in a bit. We look forward to hearing from you and our guest, Linda Holtzman. Also on today's broadcast, Talk 10 Tuesday legislative analyst Rhonda Tuller is here with an update on some of the important regulatory changes coming out of Washington, D.C. And about today's broadcast, we're going to be spending considerable time with Dr. Reamer and Linda Holtzman on the subject of OB coding. So please send in your questions as we go through this lively discussion. And by the way, some background information on Linda Holtzman. She's the president of Clarity Coding, and she's a recognized personality of the Coordination Maintenance Committee meetings. We have much to report this morning, and we begin at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk, where Dennis Jones is standing by. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by the ICD University Bookstore. Discover what's in store for you, like the timely webcast by Dr. Erica Reamer on encephalopathy, now available on demand at the ICD University Bookstore. Discover what's in store for you. Here now is Dennis Jones. Thanks, Chuck, and happy 2018 to you and the whole Talk 10 team. Uh, The first story I want to discuss today is on a serious topic of great concern to many of your listeners, and it involves Allscripts Healthcare Solutions. Allscripts is a publicly traded company that provides hospitals and physician practices with electronic health record, financial, and practice management technology. Modern Healthcare reports that more than 2,700 hospitals and 180,000 physicians use Allscripts EHR patient engagement and care coordination tools. According to one EHR vendor guide, Allscripts EHR is a web-based solution which is hosted on secure Allscripts servers. Unfortunately, those servers experienced a serious ransomware attack last week. Beginning on January 18th and lasting for eight days, 1,500 clients were impacted by the attack. According to Becker's Hospital Review, a strain of the SAMSAM ransomware infiltrated Allscripts data centers in Raleigh and Charlotte, North Carolina. A majority of the affected 1,500 clients were located in the southeast. Although some providers had access to the records after several hours, some were still unable to access electronic patient data one week after the attack. It was reported that users had to scale down their operations by canceling many non-urgent services. Patients who were seen had their visits documented the old-fashioned way, with pen and paper. The SAMSAM ransomware virus works by penetrating weaknesses, in the host servers, and locking up files through encryption. By specifically targeting Allscripts servers, the Samsung bug affected more providers than ransomware attacks that we have seen on individual hospitals in recent years. With more providers affected, it seems logical that the ransom demand would be higher. You see, ransomware is called ransomware because providers, in this case a company hosting many providers, need to obtain the encryption key to regain access to their data. The hackers require a ransom in return for the encryption key, often paid in untraceable Bitcoin. 
I have not seen a report that has identified the amount of the demanded ransom, and Allscripts is not commenting on the question of if a ransom were actually paid. To add insult to injury, Allscripts faces a class action lawsuit for failing to protect its clients and their data from the ransomware attack. The suit reads in part, while no sensitive or health information was disseminated, the risks to patient treatment, health, and safety are significantly increased because of the serious, even life-threatening consequences presented by even a short-lived interruption of healthcare services. Although Allscripts was the target of this cyber attack, it could apparently have been any one of many healthcare IT vendors who host their software on the internet. According to Newsweek, ransomware attacks increased 250% last year. The success and publicity of this SamSam attack might be a signal that it's open season on healthcare IT companies. This ransomware story is some pretty serious stuff, uh, but I'd like to finish with a second story that's a bit more quirky. Uh, when I saw this story on Friday, I really thought I had a scoop in as much as one can have a scoop on Talk 10 Tuesday. However, Saturday Night Live covered this story on their news segment, Rats. This is a story about Botox. As per CPT assistant, there are many proper CPT codes used for the in injection of Botox. 64612 is used for injections in the forehead. 64613 is used for injections in the, in the neck. Proper code use depends on the injection site. But I don't think anyone anticipated developing a code for Botox injected into camels. The headline on NPR said it all. A dozen camels disqualified from Saudi beauty pageant over Botox injections. It turns out there are actually camel beauty contests in Saudi Arabia with large cash prizes. And whenever there's a contest with a cash prize, people tend to cheat. That is why 12 camels were disqualified for receiving Botox injections to make them more attractive. According to one camel fan, they use Botox for the lips and nose. It makes the head more inflated, so when the camel comes, it's like, oh, look how big that head is. It has big lips and a big nose. Apparently, everyone likes a camel with a big nose. Well, I saw the pictures, and believe me, those were some handsome camels. Uh, Chuck, I don't know about you, but I don't think I need Botox. I just post an old picture of me from my profile, and I'm forever young. So back to you. Thanks, Dennis, very much. That was the Director of Patient Financial Services for Nyack Hospital in Nyack, New York, Dennis Jones. It's Tuesday. It's January 30th, 2018, and you're listening to the 310th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday's Stand By. Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you today by ICD University, inviting you to attend a webcast called HCCs, Understanding Their Dimensions and Possibilities. It features Rose Dunn. As HCCs begin to permeate the vocabulary of the C-suite, it's critical for health information management professionals to understand and be fluent in the fundamentals of HCCs. That includes their impact on the financial condition of the organization and the unique characteristics of the various HCC models. Managing the data from HCCs could also lead to patient care possibilities where health information management professionals can take the lead and facilitate positive changes. You'll discover that and more in this webcast with Rose Dunn. HCCs, Understanding Their Dimensions and Possibilities. It's Wednesday, February 21st. To register, click on the rotating ad on the ICD-10 Monitor homepage or call 800-252-1578. Extension 2. 
Now's the time for Dateline Washington. Reporting live from our nation's capital is talked in Tuesday legislative analyst Rhonda Tuller. Well, good morning, Chuck. It is a big day in D.C. It's President Trump's first State of the Union address. However, there's a lot of other things in the healthcare sphere going on. For instance, the new Health and Human Services Secretary, Alex Azar, was sworn in yesterday. Um, during his confirmation hearings, he spoke about four focus areas for him, one of them being high drug prices. Keep in mind that uh, Secretary Azar was at Health and Human Services and integral to the implementation of the Part D drug benefit. It is first stint at HHS. Another area he focused on was making health care more affordable, available, and tailored to individual needs and wants for care, citing premiums being too high and choices dwindling. Third, harnessing the power of Medicare to shift the focus in the health care system to pay for health and outcomes and to potentially take the power of the competitive marketplace uh, to assist with that. And finally, tackling the opioid um, epidemic, which, as we know, is rampant throughout the United States. Other things that have been happening, for instance, recently the administration had an announcement about Medicaid and work requirements. I believe Kentucky is the first state um, to go forth with that. Um, Certainly anybody who was following uh, the work of the tax bill uh, late last year, uh, the repeal of the individual mandate is in the tax bill for 2019 and more to come on that. Um, Another thing I'd like to mention is that the push to value-based payment continues. Uh, The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, where the pilots are coming for the advanced alternative payment models under MACRA as well as other APMs, uh, they have announced their first, under the Trump administration, uh, advanced alternative payment model, the Bundle Payments for Care Improvements Advanced. Um, It is a model that builds on a, a current model that's set to expire at the end of this year with both inpatient episodes and outpatient episodes. And um, right now we are in the uh, application period for both hospitals as well as physician groups that might like to apply for this. As you may know, there are two tracks in MACRA, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, um, or MIPS, and Advanced APMs. And then another thing I'd like to mention is that uh, during the fall, CMS has an initiative that they announced called Meaningful Measures. Um, They are looking to have measures that um, are in certain categories, eliminating disparities, achieving cost savings, improving access for rural communities, safeguarding the public health, reducing burden and tracking measurable outcomes and impact. So those are some things that are going on in D.C., as well as an overall um, desire by the administration to reduce administrative burden for providers. And, Chuck, I'll take it back to you. Thanks, uh, Rhonda, very much. That was talked in Tuesday. Legislative analyst Rhonda Tuller. Rhonda is a member of the HIMSS Professional Development Committee. This morning, our top story is about unraveling the mysteries of OB coding and to set the table for us. Here once again is Dr. Erica Reamer with the results of the Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey from last Tuesday. Dr. Reamer. Sometimes in coding, there is a right and a wrong answer. Sometimes there's a gray zone and room for interpretation by the coder. Some conditions were done one way in ICD-9 and are approached in a different way in ICD-10. And sometimes there is a point of confusion which needs to be remediated by a change in the guidelines or a coding clinic. 
way back last year, I did a set of obstetrics webinars. I always offer this disclaimer that I am not a coder or a CDIS, but I just play one on the Internet. And I should tell you all that the majority of my coding experience has been in ICD-10. In December, Jody Kingley, a coder with over four years' experience, watched the webcast on demand, and she contacted me and asked me for a clarification about renal disease in pregnancy because she had a concern that I misspoke. When I prepare for webinars or education, I do pretty extensive research, but don't tell my kids or husband that I'm saying this. I am not infallible. I had played with the, the uh, encoder, and it seemed to lead me to 026.8 dash. And when I looked at the alphabetic index, um, Emily, could you bring up that slide, please? Um, I again seemed to be led to the same code. So I just thought that this was a quirk of ICD-10 because it seemed crazy to me that there could be specificity for anemia, hematologic and immunologic disorders, endocrine disease, substance abuse, diseases of the nervous, respiratory, digestive, and circulatory systems, but not for renal disease. After all, the title of the O26 subcategory was Maternal Care for Other Conditions Predominantly Related to Pregnancy. But Jody pointed out that the name of this particular code was Pregnancy-Related Renal Disease, which seems to indicate that it is renal disease related specifically to the pregnancy. So after scratching my head and searching the internet for the answer, I gave up and went to my go-to expert. Some of you have heard me gush over participating in the ICD-10 Coordination and Maintenance Committee meetings. I met our next guest virtually because she and I are simpatico. She often stands at the microphone in D.C. and says just what I was thinking and itching to contribute. I emailed her for her help, and she is here to share it with you. Fun fact. Proposals that Linda authored on behalf of her Clarity Coding clients were responsible for about 90% of the 3,800 new and 490 revised ICD-10 PCS procedure codes implemented on October 1st of 2016. Listeners, Linda wasn't sure whether you would be impressed or aggravated with her about that. I am impressed. We ran a poll last week, and here are the results. For 026.832, which is what I thought it was, 30% of our guests also thought that that would be the appropriate code. And, and then, of course, the end-stage renal disease and the weeks of gestation codes. And then the 099.89, this probably includes a lot of experienced, more experienced coders than me, 42% um, of you thought it was the 099.89. 3% of you said, I have often wondered myself and can't wait to hear the correct answer next week. And 23% of you said, I am so glad I don't ever have to code obstetrical conditions. So, Chuck, can you please introduce our next guest who is going to give us the definitive answer and why? I was wrong. I am sorry. Mea culpa. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Rear, very much. Uh, apologies accepted. And uh, now to pick up the rest of the story, as uh, you have suggested here, is the aforementioned Linda Holtzman. Linda is the president of Clarity Coding, and Linda is also uh, joining us this morning. We're very happy to have her on the program. Good morning, Linda. Welcome to Talk 10 Tuesday. Thank you, Chuck, and thank you, Dr. Reamer. And by the way, Dr. Reamer, as a coding auditor, I can tell you that the 3M encoder is not infallible either. 
I'd like to be in the last option in the poll and never have to code obstetrical conditions. But since I'm not, I'm here to let you know that the correct answer is actually the second option. Use code 099.89, other specified diseases and conditions complicating pregnancy, plus N18.6 for ESRD and Z3A.22 for the weeks of gestation. The issue, of course, is what is the difference between category O26 for other conditions predominantly related to pregnancy versus category O99 for other maternal diseases classified elsewhere but complicating pregnancy? Here's the rule of thumb. Codes in category O26 are generally for obstetrical conditions complicating the pregnancy, like diseases that result from pregnancy or are intrinsically linked to pregnancy. In contrast, codes in category O99 are for non-obstetrical conditions uh, that complicate the pregnancy, like pre-existing disorders or non-pregnancy-related conditions that arise during the pregnancy and complicate it. So, for example, we see that category O26 classifies conditions like low weight gain in pregnancy, herpes gestationis, subluxation of the pubis in pregnancy, pregnancy-related exhaustion, spotting in pregnancy, and these are all associated with being pregnant. Now look at category O99. That classifies conditions like anemia in pregnancy, and various exclusion notes within ICD-10 make clear that this includes pre-existing anemia. It also classifies alcohol and drug use and mental disorders, which are also generally pre-existing. classifies strep B colonization, which occurs naturally in the vagina in many women, and other similar conditions that are, quote, classified elsewhere. They're classified elsewhere because people get them all the time, pregnant or not. It's just that this particular patient who has this condition happens to be pregnant. Maybe a good example of the distinction is that pregnancy complicated by cholestasis is O26.6. But pregnancy complicated by cholecystitis is O99.6. Now, they're both biliary tract disorders, but cholecystasis of pregnancy is a real thing. It's caused by the hormonal effects on bile, uh, bile flow during pregnancy, whereas cholecystitis can happen to anybody. Likewise, excessive weight gain in pregnancy is classified to O26 and is associated specifically with being pregnant while obesity complicating pregnancy is classified to O99 because obesity is pre-existing. So the next question is, well, how would we know this? ICD-10 doesn't make it easy. There are exceptions, there are inconsistencies, it's maddening. But there are some guideposts. The AHA's ICD-10-CM coding handbook, which is published by the fine folks at Coding Clinic, it contains examples such as multiple sclerosis, a pre-existing condition coded to O99.35, diseases of nervous system complicating pregnancy. The instructional notes on category O99 are another clue. Under O99.5, diseases of the respiratory system complicating pregnancy, there's a note which says conditions in J00 to J99. And that's one way to know that pneumonia, J18.9, is coded to O99.5 when the patient is pregnant. Then under O99.8, there's a note that says conditions in M00 to N99. Well, ESRD is N18.6, so it seems like that belongs here under O99.8. Okay, so then what kinds of renal conditions go to O26.83? Well, it's things like nephritis, glomerular, glomerular disease, nephropathy, also generic uremia in pregnancy. As Dr. Reamer noted, the index does list O26.83 for pregnancy complicated by renal disease or failure, but it's for renal disease or failure not elsewhere classified. Also, 
For us old-timers in coding, it's worth noting that there was a similar distinction in ICD-9, and we could see that with some adjustments, much of that convention carried over into ICD-10. If it helps, struggling with the use of O26 versus O99 for a pregnant patient with ESRD is probably more of a theoretical coding issue than a practical one. That's because the main causes of ESRD are diabetes and hypertension, and there are clear coding instructions in those scenarios. First, based on the official guidelines as well as how those conditions are indexed, we can assume a cause and effect relationship between diabetes and chronic kidney disease, and also between hypertension and chronic kidney disease, even when the physician doesn't explicitly document a link. So ESRD in type 1 diabetes in pregnancy is coded O24.01, pre-existing type 1 diabetes mellitus in pregnancy. Then there's an instructional note with O24.01 that says to use additional code from category E10 to further identify any manifestations. So then we add E10.22, type 1 diabetes with diabetic chronic kidney disease, and following another use additional note there, we add N18.6 for ESRD. It's similar to um, with hypertensive ESRD in pregnancy. Use code 010.21, pre-existing hypertensive chronic kidney disease complicating pregnancy, and then follow the use additional code note to add I12.0, hypertensive chronic kidney disease with stage 5 chronic kidney disease or end-stage renal disease, plus N18.6. Those two coding scenarios should take care of the vast majority of cases for ESRD in pregnancy. And maybe that's why ICD-10-CM doesn't have specific notes or indexing for ESRD in pregnancy. Nonetheless, the distinction between O26 and O99 is still an area of confusion. Dr. Reamer and I have discussed developing a proposal for the ICD-10 Coordination and Maintenance Committee to add instructional notes to the tabular and maybe to add entries to the index to make the distinction between O26 and O99 more clear. We'll keep you posted. Thanks, Linda, very much. That was the president of Clarity Coding, Linda Holtzman. And I also want to thank Dr. Reamer for bringing this important issue to our attention. Thank you both very much. Uh, Dr. Reamer, let's take a look at some of the questions that are coming in, okay? Uh, You know what, Chuck, before we do that really quick, I just wanted to mention that I spoke to my sister the other day, and she was saying that uh, she's a pediatrician, and she had to spend the evening transcribing all of her notes because she was one of those victims of the Allscripts EMR fiasco. So let's look at the questions. So Cheryl asks, if an OB patient delivers and the only other diagnosis she has is a history of marijuana use that was stopped before pregnancy, what would be the proper diagnosis code? So I'm going to take a few liberties here. Number one, I'm going to pretend that she had an uncomplicated delivery. Um, So the question is basically, do you use some sort of an O code that signifies the history of marijuana use that was stopped before pregnancy? And I would say you would not because it's no longer complicating the pregnancy. So you might end up using perhaps like Z86.59, which is personal history of other mental and behavioral disorders not complicating um, this pregnancy. You would not be using an O code for active um, marijuana use. And then you would be using, as your principal would be, O80, encounter for uncomplicated delivery, and the Z37 code for whatever the offspring was, like whether it was a single live um, childbirth or whatever. Uh, Linda, would you agree with my pretending I'm a coder on the Internet assessment? I do indeed agree with you. Um, One of the key points about 
the O codes, especially for uh, conditions um, or behaviors um, uh, that are classified elsewhere, is that uh, they must complicate the pregnancy to be coded separately. And in this case, um, there is no complication. She has a history, so it's, it's clinically significant. I would use the Z code for the history, uh, but would not use an O code uh, to indicate that it's in any way related to the pregnancy. Great. Thanks. And then why don't we take the next one. Um, Michelle said, is it okay to use a code from 099.89 for cases where a patient is pregnant and sustains an injury? Um, and I, I will let you explain the, why you would really try to go to 09A.21. But first, I would like to mention, as a physician, um, sometimes I think about these things, and I would say that almost any injury that occurs during pregnancy is either complicated by the pregnancy or complicates the pregnancy. So if somebody, like, sprains their ankle while they're, you know, gravid, you know, let's pretend they're a third trimester gravid, then it probably was as a result of your gravity being off. So it's complicated by the pregnancy. So I think an O code is almost always um, appropriate because if, when you're, if a patient has an injury and you have to determine what medications you're going to put them on, you have to take into consideration that there's a pregnancy. So it complicates your decision process. Would you like to do the coding thing for me? Sure. I'd first like to chime in on Dr. Erica's thinking. I essentially agree with it, but would probably draw um, a finer line there. I want to draw your attention to code Z33.1, pregnant state incidental. This code can be used when a patient who is pregnant comes to see the physician for something that is not in any way related to the pregnancy and is not particularly complicating it. Now, Dr. Reamer makes the important point that most things, especially late in pregnancy, even if they're not related to the pregnancy, are complicating it because you need to consider uh, the pregnancy in working out the, the treatment options, and you may need to alter some of the treatment options specifically because the, the patient is pregnant. But there can be situations, uh, for example, let's say someone has a, a foreign body in their subcutaneous tissue, and the physician's going to take that out, and they're just giving a local or something like that. In that case, it's of note that the patient is pregnant, but it doesn't particularly complicate the pregnancy. So you might, in that case, code um, the foreign body and then the Z33.1 for pregnant state incidental. Otherwise, though, if there are any effects on the pregnancy or the pregnancy is affecting the condition, such as, you know, a, a broken bone or something like that, then I would go ahead and use an O code. Unless there is specific code for it, then the 099.8 is a good place to put it. And in this case, you would probably use your, if it was an injury, it would be 09A.21 and then the final digit. Um, I think that's probably going to be all we have the time for, but I just do want to say that I completely agree with your incidental. As always, we almost always agree on everything. Um, I, I agree on using the Z code for the incidental. So any other questions that came in, we will try to go through them and give you uh, an answer or um, post them on the site. And I'm going to turn it over to you now, Chuck. Thanks, Dr. Reamer. And Linda Holtzman, thanks very much for being on our program today. And here's a program note. We're going to be publishing a transcript of the conversation you just heard between Dr. Erica Reamer and Linda Holtzman. You're going to get it later today when we're going to be sending you a link to the recorded version of today's Talk 10 Tuesday. Also, a reminder that National Society of the 
Awareness Month is now underway. It began yesterday. You might remember that last week here on Talk Ten Tuesday we featured Doug Ziegel. He's the co-founder of the Patrick Reese CTE Foundation. But that's going to be a wrap for this edition of Talk Ten Tuesday. And Dr. Reamer and I want to thank our guest today, Dennis Jones. Thanks, Dennis. Rhonda Teller, uh, thank you, Rhonda, for being with us this morning. We appreciate it. And our special guest, Linda Holtzman. Linda, I hope you come back and join us again. And I personally want to thank Dr. Erica Reamer for all her hard work in making today's edition of Tucked In Tuesday so meaningful for so many. And I think I speak on behalf of all our listeners when we say we can forgive you for not getting this code right. Next Tuesday, Dr. Reamer is going to be on vacation. Lucky Dr. Reamer. And sitting in for her will be the nationally celebrated HIM Authority, Bonnie Cassidy. She's the recipient of the 2014 Distinguished Member Crime Award from AHIMA. Until then, I'm Chuck Buck. And on behalf of Dr. Erica Reamer and everyone here at Tucked In Tuesday, We thank you for being with us. We look forward to your being right back here again next Tuesday for another edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.